let us give thanks and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Thou who art the great examiner of hearts, examine our hearts this evening to see if we have brought any oil beaten as thou hast instructed thy children in the early days of Israel, that our hearts would have such oil within them, that we would have a true hunger and thirst after thy word. For thou hast promised in thy sermon on the mount that we shall be filled. But Father, if our hearts, as thou hast taught us, is full of everything else but a desire for thee, then how, O oh Father, can such a work be done in us, even this evening hour of grace? But Father, truly it is so, that in order for the Holy Spirit to work within our own hearts, then the Holy Spirit must be sent by thee to prepare our hearts to receive the Holy Spirit. For all the work that's of any value, any work in us which will be of any benefit to our eternal and undying soul has to be done by thee. And we have to become, O Father, as dust as thou hast taught us. May it be then, O Father, that even for these few moments as we gather around thy eternal word, and that at this holy hour, that we would be once again fed and strengthened and encouraged and admonished so that we could continue as thy children, that we would not be satisfied with our own self-made Christianity, nor that we would live in the hypocrisy of sin, but that we would want to be true children, O oh Father. Grant this our plea. O Father, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our next song is song number 254 from the small song blue book, or the small blue song book.
the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. For our text this evening, we will turn to the Psalms, and we will read uh, Psalm 22 in its entirety. We will read it in His name who suffered and suffers in our behalf, namely, our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength, haste to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. For he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord. And all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon earth shall eat and worship. All they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. 
and none can keep alive his own soul. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he hath done this. Amen. Perhaps some of you have thought that the text is rather long. But I wonder if it's any longer than the Louis L'Amour books, or the so-called religious novels, or the sports pages, or the news magazines, or whatever it is that the world reads. Or is it so, do we have to admit and confess that not only the world reads, reads, but we even in this precious Christianity waste the time of grace on. And then we say, well, the preacher, he read a long text. And forget as we say or think this, that eternity is forever. And the time that we spend here are but a few fleeting moments. that we could gather around this text of 31 verses for the benefit of our undying soul. And all the other reading that we do is soon forgotten. It's fleeting. And not only that, but it causes so great damage in our hearts and our souls. For our hearts are so drawn to them. For we are flesh. And we are drawn to the things that are flesh. And it is so, as Paul has said, that with my mind I serve the law. But with my flesh, the law, of, the, the, the law of the flesh. And we are of two portions. This morning the brothers took us for their texts. They were warning texts. They were texts of instruction. And all that we would take heed of those texts. In fact, I was kind of startled with the text that Brother Wilfred chose because I was thinking of using that very text, the very verses this evening, Our Grace. But I thank God that he took their text and that it opened to him the way it did, that even my own heart could see it, and that he was to have the boldness to reveal the things that have been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, as they were to Brother Gary's. And going back to Brother Gary's text about the steward, who, when he saw that he was in jeopardy, asked one of the, his lord's debtors to write 50 for the 100 measures of oil, and the one with the 100 measures of wheat to write down 80. Do you see how easily and how quickly he discounted his debt of sin? But sin, we be, when we begin to measure it, it cannot be discounted. Sin is sin. It's a transgression of the will of God. And oh, it's such a great wound in, a, in God's heart. And then we start to look at it lightly. To illustrate what Brother Gary was talking about, if I may. Let's say that you wanted to cross a chasm, a ravine, a river, five feet across. And you're going to make a small bridge then out of planks. And it would be best that instead of making the planks five feet, that you would make them seven feet so that there will be one foot of bearing on each side of this river or this, uh, this ravine, so that should you walk on there, 
or someone heavier, or you had more of a load, and there was some deflection, that is, the boards would bend, the planks would bend, that there would still be some bearing that it would not come off from either end. But let us suppose that as you're mulling this and you're thinking that five feet, five feet is across, and now you have your planks ready there, and the five feet is so much in your mind that what do you do? But you cut the planks, the five feet. And you know how this will work, right? Maybe it'll kind of catch you on the edges, but it's not very safe. Or perhaps you might say that, well, it's not so important that those planks are seven feet long. That maybe it's fine that it's five feet. I'll just, I know what I'll do. I, one foot is enough bearing, so I'll, I'll, I'll make it such a structure so that I can have one foot on one bank, and I'll be short one foot on the other end. But what about that old traveler who's not able to hop across that one foot? The one who shuffles so slowly. Or the little child that perhaps you had safeguarded with beautiful and nice and rigid gates on each side, railings on each side. That little child's not going to be able to cross that one foot chasm either. And what of the traveler in the night who unexpectedly sees this good plank bridge and only to find that he falls there and comes to great harm. Do you see what we do when we start to measure sin? When we begin to determine then that it's not enough. When God says that I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me, he means exactly that. He doesn't say but except that. So when we make a bridge that has to cross five feet, we need to cut the plank seven feet and not five feet. It just will not do. So where then will we turn to for our help? Where will we look to unto whom do we look to? The brothers have spoken preciously to our hearts of warnings that we need to hear, especially in our day. And I say especially in our day because this is the day that we live in. The sins of our forefathers have gone before us. We have to answer for our own. And in this psalm, which has been so often quoted and often understood that it is, it is the psalm of our Savior and Redeemer, and truly it is. And we could have just as well taken Psalm 69 or Psalm 102, for they speak of the sufferings of our Savior and Redeemer in the same regard. But if we look at this psalm only as that which our Savior and Redeemer has suffered, then what about our own heart, our own cross? Doesn't the true child of God have an experience of faith? I believe that as we go through this psalm, that we, have, we cannot just leave it as the Savior's experiences, but we have to look at it as our own also. If we are going to gain some benefit and some consolation, and yea, maybe even some admonishment from it. So beginning with our psalm here, we read that the psalmist begins by saying, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art, thou so, why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Unquestionably, this was the cry and the desire of the heart of our Savior and Redeemer. Especially we hear of those, even almost the very words on Golgotha's cross. But in the heart of Jesus were harbored the same anxiety also in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
when Jesus was there looking over the city of Jerusalem, said that I would have gathered thee as a hen her chicks under her wings. That same heart also was there. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping and from the words of my roaring? This was also David's heart. David struggled with a conscience, a conscience that was made alive and tender by the Holy Spirit. And is it so that this kind of experience has been almost but forgotten in our Christianity? Is it so that we can go for days and weeks and months and maybe even years and we have no need to repent? None. Have we become so inured to our sin? Have we become so comfortable here in this life that we truly don't need a Savior and Redeemer? That all our so-called worship and attendance to the church is just that, an outward thing. And we would be hard-pressed, perhaps, to give an answer as to why we come. Or the answer might be a weak one, although maybe on the surface a good one, that our parents always went to church and we found it good to come. And it is a good custom and a good habit. But all the church going that you might do, though you would come day and night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it will avail you nothing. If your heart is still as stony and as cold, if the seed has not been able to sprout and benefit and brought forth 30 or 60 or a hundredfold, O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. The awakened soul most is experienced very, very clearly. And I wonder, when we hear so few lamentations, when we hear so few open confessions, though I don't know how many private confessions there may be, and I would pray and hope that there are many, for there is no rule nor requirement that repentances need to be made in the open. But why was it then that in the 70s when we moved here, there were so many who were so troubled? There were so many that were in the warfare have they become such good Christians now? Have they been such conquerors over sin? Have they no evil thoughts anymore? Never does a sharp word come out of their mouth. Never do they covet their neighbor's possessions nor his wife, nor lust with adulterous thoughts, nor struggle with impatience, nor strut around in pride. Is this how good we have become in this Christianity? If that's so, then you have no need for a Savior and Redeemer. You can make it on your own. And you know what he will tell you? Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. For you have trusted in your own Christianity, your self-made Christianity, you have been able to walk on your own. But you might say, well, wait a minute. Isn't it so then that there's a sanctified life that a child of God can walk in holiness and uprightness? And isn't that what he is taught to do? And to that we must say that that is true.
But where have you found then? And where are those Christians found who are better than this David who has to lament from such great deaths? Who finds the hairs backslidden? Who he cries in the daytime and in the night season? He's not silent. Oh, may God be merciful unto us. May he awaken us once again. For the physician need not, for the whole need not a physician, but those that are sick. This is not an encouragement nor an exhortation to sin, so that grace may abound. God forbid. But this is rather an admonition and exhortation that we would examine our own hearts. How do we stand before the mirror of God's word? Or is it so that mammon is the one we serve after all? And all we have is a hypocrisy, which is the leaven of the Pharisees of which Jesus warned of so many times that it appears that we're Christians, but within we are whited sepulchers. But thou art holy, O that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Do you see where our God inhabits? Do you see where he dwells? He dwells and lives in the praises of Israel. Oh, what a shack he must have today. What a, what a lousy looking shack and rotted board that is coming apart. If he has to live and inhabit the praises of today's Israel, which has no cause to praise him, because they're so busy praising themselves and living for themselves. But it says, Thou art holy. Both Luther and David struggled long and hard with their hearts in this matter, when they stood with their own hearts before a holy God, a righteous God, an unwavering God. He was not one who allowed for it and is not one who has an elastic measure, but his measure is sure. It neither stretches nor does it shrink. It's always the same. And oh, I thank God that we have such a God I thank you that we have such a God in whom there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. That he is a sure rock. That he never changes. And even if I fall away, which I often do, that I can again and again return to him. He has not moved. Though sometimes unable to find him. Sometimes I feel that I have been forsaken. But rather it is so that I have forsaken him. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. And this we ought to remember too, that in this precious Lestadian Christianity, which many of us have had the, uh, the privilege of having been brought up in, that our fathers trusted in God. They trusted and they have been delivered from the bondage of Egypt. And it has not been just restrict, restricted to this precious Lestadian movement, but it has been applied to every remnant, every true child of God who has loved the truth and sought the truth. They cried unto thee and were delivered. Do you see the attribute of a Christian? They cried unto them and were delivered. When have you last cried unto God? And then you wonder why you haven't been delivered. 
or maybe your cries are about having as fancy a vehicle or a house or on a vacation as your neighbor does. Is that the kind of things that you cry and fret about? Or is there really a, a desire in your heart to be saved? And a desire to be made whole again? And a, and a desire that you would not be in your backslidden state? And though whatever it is that you concentrate and focus your life on, the things that make your life so busy today, which is a common lament that I hear both in the world and in the Christianity, those things that make you so busy, are those the things then that confound you? Are they the things that you cry about? Is it any wonder then that you're not delivered? They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised of the people. It's true that this applied to our Savior and Redeemer. As he groveled there in the floor of the earth on Mount Olivet in Gethsemane's garden. But also this is the experience of an awakened heart. But I am a worm and no man. And what a blessed thing it is when we come to realize this that we are a worm and no man. Although it is painful to find that we are a reproach of men and despised of the people, the world surely does not understand the awakened heart. They begin to think that there's some mental problem or there's some kind of foolishness or some wild-spirited ideas, even as we sang in this song, that yet he's a child of God, the writer said, though the ch children of the world do not understand. But as time goes on within every Christian movement, every awakening movement, and it is no less true of ours, that this type of, that even here, even within our circles, it begins to be, that those who find that they are a worm and no man, that they are reproach even of those in the Christianity and despised of the people, and all they that see me laugh me to scorn, they shoot out the lip and they shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. We remember how it was when Jesus was on the cross. And they said, others he healed, let him heal himself. Let him now come down from upon the cross. And often the world wonders, how is it that we're able to trust the God when in some of our lives there have been some great, great afflictions? But for you who have suffered afflictions of whatever kind they might have been, whether they are of health or death, financial or whatever it might be, by which God has tested and chastened and tried you, has not that drawn your heart to closer to God? Isn't that really so that out of affliction I have called thee, even as the psalmist says in the 119th Psalm, that it has drawn us closer and hasn't it been our experience when someone has suffered some kind of, some kind of difficulty, whether it's death in a family or sickness or some tragedy perhaps, that the others have gathered like ravens fed to come to feed Elijah, that they have come and they have been close by to help and to comfort and to succor them. But this matter of being a worm is a great, great matter. It means that we are then in ourselves as nothing. And if we have become nothing in ourselves, then Christ has become everything. Do you not see, dear brothers and sisters, what a precious matter this is? To be a worm and no man, 
to have no pride, to, to not hold our, always have the last word in everything, even as I try to do, but to have that all destroyed and to be, dis, and to be selfless, and to look to the Savior and Redeemer for everything and in all things. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. And we see now that the tenor of the psalm has changed. This David who is in such great distress, he remembers as he often does in so many psalms, even, for example, the 42nd psalm where it says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, he says. In the very same verse he has hope as he, as he cries out in distress. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my brother mother's breast. When we were such small infants and we were upon our mother's breast. We did not understand, did we? We only knew that there was comfort in there. We knew that mother's arms comforted us. And so, but already there our Savior and Redeemer has cared for us. From the womb unto our mother's breast. And I was cast upon thee from the womb. From the womb already we've been cast upon him. Now we begin to understand, do we not? Why John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb. When the mother of his Lord enters the, and crosses the threshold into his mother's house. Oh, what a joyous service John Baptist had there in his mother's womb. Oh, that we could be partakers of such joy and such anticipation. No wonder it is so then that when I read in his mother's womb he has left, that he then is able to say, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world, that introduces to every heart, even to us tonight, to behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. Behold him who has suffered for us, who languishes there, or as we read later on here, that I may tell all my bones, that I may number all my bones, and they look upon me and stare me, stare upon me, there as he stretched on the cross of Golgotha. Be not far from me, for trouble is me near, for there is none to help. Time and time again in the book of Isaiah and elsewhere it is written how he was in wonder and aghast that there was no one to help him. That was the situation our Savior and Redeemer is in. But the awakened heart, the one who struggles with truth in his heart, the one who in anxiety wonders, will he ever be saved? Though the works may have been mighty and wonderful within his own heart, though he might have preached eloquently to others of the Savior and Redeemer, Though he might have had a great concern for the hearts of men that all would be saved. And his works reflect that. Often it is so that that very heart has to yet again be as this David. To cry that be not far from me for trouble is near. For there is none to help. For such a one also God chastens. For such a one he also hides himself from him. For such a one God loves so much that he wants him to always be dependent upon him, so that he would not begin to build upon his preaching. He would not begin to build on all those good works, as good as they are, and as, as wonderful as they are. But he would again and again be brought to that same foundation, for no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That he would again and again look upon the wounds of Jesus, 
as they flow the, from which flows the sweet nectar of his salvation, which is counted as not only atonement, but sufficient and more than sufficient, yea, double for the sins, as a righteous father beholds them from far off heaven. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. What bulls have been compassing you this past week? Have the bulls of impatience? How about the bulls of, of pride? Do you hold your head up high? To be always have the last word? To be exalted by your fellow men? What, which bulls have compassed you? Or have they been the bulls of pleasure, or adultery, or fornication, or pornography? What bulls are waiting to swallow you up? It's written in the 12th chapter of Revelations that there was a woman who was clothed with the sun, and the moon was at her feet, and she upon her head she had seven she had crowns. And also there was another wonder in heaven, a red dragon who awaited for this travailing woman to give, birth, to give forth birth so that he could swallow that man-child as it was delivered. And in the same way as it is then, that the, that the enemy of our souls, when we are at the threshold of new birth, wants to swallow that up and destroy that very same word. When the destroyer, the avenger, comes, he wants to, comes to destroy us, that then these are those bulls that beset us and gape about us. For the devil has but one goal, and that is to destroy the beautiful work of the Creator. And more than that, the work of the, this, this great destroyer is this, to spoil the work of redemption. He there was destroyed, but all oh, that he could keep our hearts away from that matter, that we would be, uh, that we would not look to the cross of Christ as our only hope of salvation. And more and more than that, that we would not bear a cross either, that we would live frivolously and lightly in this world, that we would follow the pleasures and the styles of this world and live as the world, so we wouldn't have to gauge, so we wouldn't have to wear the shame of this world. But wear the shame of this world, dear brothers and sisters, for that that is camouflaged as your robe of righteousness. The world may see it. They may see it as a robe of shame, but it is your true robe of righteousness. And it's been lit on the cross of Golgotha. It's been paid for with a great price. Oh, that we would be able to see it as it truly is. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. And that is exactly the experience of the child of God who's awakened. He's poured out like water. He's emptied up everything that he has of himself. And all his bones are out of joint. Nothing seems to be, nothing seems to be fit. It seems to fit. And his heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of his bowels. Everything that he has and was and thought that he had has to be taken and destroyed away and poured out and emptied out. So that then one who is pure and righteous and shining, one who can bring true joy to the heart, one who is not content with momentary pleasures, momentary honors, momentary riches, but gives true riches and true honors so that we can be gathered around the Lamb of God around the throne and sing His praises through all eternity. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, for those of you who are familiar with archaeology, you know that a potsherd 
is a fragment of some vessel, some clay vessel, and usually the archaeology that we're familiar, biblical archaeology that is, is done in the land of Israel and in the, and Egypt and in that area. Very dry over there, not much rain. And so these potsherds, they have become drier and drier, these fragments, as the centuries have passed. And that's the picture here that the psalmist says, that my strength is dried up like a potsherd. There is no life, there is no moisture that can hardly be detected in there. And it's so dry that my tongue... The thanks, so dry then has he become... And he wonders here that in death there's no remembrance of thee. It seems that when we have been poured out, when our heart has then been melted from wax, that there is no lifeless life in there. And oh, what a, what a wonderful thing that is. Our oldest grandson, some years ago, had leukemia. And they did a bone marrow transplant in him. In order to do a bone marrow transplant, you must remove all of the marrow that you have in your bones. And to do that, at least the way they did it with him, is that with chemotherapy, powerful chemotherapy, and powerful radiation, every bit of that, his original marrow had to be removed, for it was stained with cancer. It was polluted with cancer. They couldn't take any chance of having any of his own marrow there. He had to begin with new marrow, which he received from his brother of one year old at that time. And this is the same matter in us. That to be transformed and to experience new birth. Every bit of our own blood, our own marrow, all of that has to be destroyed so that we would be as dust. That we would be as dry as a potsherd. So that the living streams of the crimson blood of Jesus would flow and course in our veins. And I'm speaking now spiritually that we would live in that, then maybe the sins to which we are attracted would not shine so, would not have so much glitter. For then we would be carrying enough, carrying our cross daily. For then we would be able to behold what it cost our Savior and Redeemer, who also has had to number, tell all his bones or number all his bones. For dogs have compassed me the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. This piercing upon which we look upon, upon which is, which is written in the book of Zechariah and in the first chapter of Revelations, this piercing of the hands and feet. Oh, may God in this Christianity, in this time, and I speak for my own heart more maybe than for you, that I would be able to behold him who is pierced so that through the piercing side there, I can see his heart as the spear in the, in the march, in that track that the spear has left in his side. There we can truly see what his heart is toward us. There we can see how it overflows with love, how he's willing. He's willing to die for us. And that's such a great matter that has been willing to die for us. When we begin to see in small, some small measure that we truly are sinners and redeemer, uh, uh, sinners, that we truly need a redeemer, that there is no good in us, that we are so corrupt through and through and deserve nothing but hell, fire, and eternal lamentation. Behold, there is one who has suffered eternally, namely our Savior and Redeemer, so that we can spend eternity with him with true joy. They part 
my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. We remember how the soldiers did that. But be not thou far from me, O Lord. O my strength, haste to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. You see how this psalm has gone now. He's in distress and then remembers God. He's in distress and then remembers God. He's in distress and remembers God. Is that a familiar journey? I remember when I read the, the book, the writing, the autobiography by John Bunyan, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. And it seemed to me as I read that, that his life went like this, and then he went like this, and he went like this and this. And I was waiting for it to level off. But he never leveled off in his autobiography. And he was a child of God. God had richly revealed many things to John Bunyan. But you see, the reason he was like this is for the same reason that the Israelites have been told. That besides that it's a land of milk and honey, that it's a land of hills and valleys. The promised land, the promised land of Christianity is a land of hills and valleys. There were still some, some enemies over there that had to be overcome. And though the vineyards had been planted and the wells were ready, and it was for the taking, yet there was the warfare. And isn't it something that when we've come to this kind of place that our strength is to become as a uh, potsherd, that we have become the dust of the earth, then the conflict begins for the child of God. And it continues until he takes his last breath. Why? Because so that we would love Jesus more. So we'd love Jesus more. So we would have a need for him. That we would live on this, that we're dependent on him. We who are so independent, we who want to show, show and say that we are capable of something, all oh, that this high self-esteem that we have, all oh, that that would be destroyed, that we could be as dust, that the psychology of this world would not permeate that precious Christianity, that we could say to self-esteem that thou, thou art the greatest of all sins, thou rankest with the unbelief, to take my heart away from my Savior and my Redeemer. Oh, it may be that we would be worms and no men. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. And now he begins to praise his Savior and Redeemer and says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. And why not? When such great things have happened in the heart, does not David here have have great need. Does he not have reason now to sing praises unto the Savior and Redeemer? And not only in his heart, but he would he would declare his name in the, amongst the brethren and in the midst of the congregation. Ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all ye seed of Israel. Oh, what a transformation has taken place in the heart. Oh, what consolation David has experienced. May we also know this consolation in this life to come. For if we have not experienced this consolation in this life, we will not in all eternity. But rather we will have to be at the rich man who would be happy to have one drop of water. One drop of water. But the gulf between him and those who are rest in Abraham's bosom is great. And it's been fixed. And it can never, 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 never be changed. 
dear children of God, if there's any here today who are backsliding, who are coasting, who are resting on their laurels that they are Lestadians, or that they've been confirmed, or that, or whatever it is that you might be resting on, oh, may it be so that you would become so complacent, so complacent that one day you will join the rich man who goes nameless, but who is, who is, uh, who is a legion in the numbers that are down there waiting for one drop of water when you can drink of the wells of salvation here already and not only that but you will not thirst eternally as the finished version says when Jesus spoke to the woman the Samaritan woman at the well of Jacob for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted did you hear that you chastised children for he hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of affliction Afflicted, neither hath he hid his face from him. But when he cried unto him, he heard. He always hears. And you remember how sinful it was in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God said that he sent his angels down there to see if it was really so as he had heard. He heard the cries and uh, the cries of Sodom and Gomorrah. And though only four were delivered from there, and one of those even turned back. Nevertheless, he is such a God who numbers his own and knows everyone, that he knew that in all that sodomy, in all that uh, homosexuality and the other things that they lived in, that he knew that they had but empty shells of life, that the pleasures were nothing. And he heard in the background of all their frivolity and all their parties, he heard the cry of lamentation. He heard the gnashing and gnashing of teeth, which would be forever and ever and ever. My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear him. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. Oh, what is that? What is this then that the meek shall eat and be satisfied? Why? They will drink of his blood and they will eat of his body. Have you partaken of that great meal which the king has set for his son? Come now to the wedding. My oxen and my fatling have been killed. You can eat of his body and drink of his blood. The children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, they ate angels' food. That's what God's word tells us about the manna. But the Christians are much more richer. They can eat, they can eat and drink of the body and blood of Christ. Just think what a great feast is spread before us. Even tonight, even tonight we can partake of the body and the blood of our Savior and Redeemer and drink deep of that flowing nectar from the wounds of our Savior. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nation shall worship thee. For the kingdom is the Lord, Lord's, and he is the governor among all the nations. For that's what the bottom line is after all, is it not? That the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship all they that go down to the dust shall bow before him. And none can keep alive his own soul. Remember this if you remember nothing else tonight. That none can keep alive his own soul. You depend on one. It's he who has, as we read here, already known you and cast him, you upon himself already from the belly of your mother. It is already then when you were helpless and clinging to the breasts of your mother. A seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. And when I read this place, I'm reminded of the psalm. 
in the uh, 87th Psalm. And of Zion it shall be said, This and that man was born in her, and the highest himself shall establish her. That's what it said about Zion. That's what the angels in heaven sing and sing and speak about in Zion. That this man was born in her. That this one has taken part of second birth, even as we sing in, in the Christmas song. Then they shall come and shall declare his righteousness of the people that shall be born. And he hath done this. He hath done this in the hearts of his children. And to the third and fourth of generation that love him and keep his commandments. Now you who are afflicted in soul and perhaps even in body. Who carry many heavy weights and burdens. Do you know that those sins and those burdens have been paid for almost 2,000 years ago? That's not the cross that Jesus wants you to bear. He wants you to be free of that. The cross that he wants you, him, you to bear is that one that earns a crown, which is a partaking of his cross, that you would suffer the shame as he has of the world, but you will receive the glories of heaven. For such a one has his name written in the Lamb's book of life. So for the conscience bound tonight, I would encourage you that don't carry your sins a moment more, but repent of them. And do not be ashamed that godly sorrow has enveloped your heart. Do not be over much anxious. But I would exhort you even as the psalmist here in the 22nd Psalm. To look to him who is your life. Look to him who wants to draw your heart. Press you hard. Press your so closely to his warm heart. So that you will hear it beating. That you will hear that the crimson flood still flows. And that it's still available even to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, as we close in prayer tonight, we want to remember those who are in mourning. We remember our dear sister in faith, Rauha'ahu. We also want to remember those who are in nursing homes and bed of, beds of pain. Those who are afflict, afflicted in many ways. And tonight, O oh Father, we want to remember those who have not even had a desire to gather around thy word. That thou, the, the sword would pierce their hearts also. That once again they would want to draw water of the wells of salvation. Oh, may now the Lord bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us his peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. We'll gather again Thursday evening at 7.30, again next Sunday 10.30 in the morning, and then there will be a finished service at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 
and an evening service at 7 p.m. And after the evening service next Sunday, there will be a discussion on whether we'll have fall services or not. And we'll close the night by singing 110 from the small blue songbook. <laughs>